Welcome to the Advent Houston podcast. At Advent, our mission is to embrace, embody, and extend the grace of Jesus Christ to the Texas Medical Center, Rice University, and the surrounding neighborhood. We're glad that you're here with us today. Well, good morning again. Um, My name is Taylor Leachman. I think Everybody has been here before, but just in case, uh, that's, that's who I am. I'm the planting uh, pastor here at Advent, and um, we are taking a break from our uh, uh, kind of regular sermon series that we were going through on the book of Genesis. We got through uh, Genesis 1 through 4, and now that we're beginning this season of Advent, we're, um, we're actually following... The, the regularly scheduled what are called lectionary readings um, of, of the season of Advent. And so um, you might be wondering, like, where did that random uh, passage from Mark and 1 Corinthians come from? And now we're going to be in the book of Isaiah. What is going on? Well, these are uh, hand-picked readings by people uh, about 300 years ago that the church has has regularly read in three-year cycles to make sure that they're reading particular thematic things together. Um, And so we'll see sort of today how these things actually interweave uh, together as well. But some of you may be wondering like, okay, well, what is the season of Advent now that we're actually into it, right? It's the name of this church, um, the name of this local church, is also the name of the season. What does it actually mean? Well, the word Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus. You probably, if you've been around, uh, you know, churches that celebrate Advent, you've probably heard that a decent amount of times. Um, and what does that mean? What does it mean that we celebrate? Uh, you know, the word means of, of Adventus means arrival. We're celebrating the arrival of Christ. Um, not just his first coming, but longing for his coming again, right? So as Christians, we believe that not only did Jesus come the first time, yes, he did so, but he is coming a second time, right? The first coming was the inauguration or the beginning of his kingdom. And the second time is going to be his bringing the kingdom in its fullness, Right, where everything is subjected to his reign and rule, meaning all tears will be wiped away from our eyes as it talks about in the book of Revelation. <laughs> or sin and death will be no more in our lives. And so in Advent, we long for that second coming, for him to come and to make what was wrong right again. And we look forward to celebrating um, that uh, that he has actually come already. That's a, another aspect of what it is that we long for. We, we, we long for that first coming celebration that comes in Christmas. That though we struggle, he entered in, right? And he is with us. So the season is not just about looking forward to Christmas time as kind of our culture regularly talks about, but it is actually longing for his coming again. Longing for him to come and to make all things right. And so we begin the Advent season with this kind of slap in the face passage from Isaiah. um, That reminds us that the way in which we normally think about preparing for Christmas perhaps is um, weak at best. Um, So uh, we are going to call out to God in this prayer together from Isaiah. 
um, and ask for him to come. So would y'all read with me? Um, I will read it for us, and, and y'all can follow along with me in page uh, 583 of your pew Bible, um, or read along with me uh, in, on the screen uh, in front of you. This is Isaiah chapter 64, verses 1 through 9. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by their ear. No eye has seen a God beside you who acts for those who wait for him. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you in your ways. Behold, you were angry and we sinned. In our sins, we have been a long time and shall we be saved? We have all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us, and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold. Please look. We are all your people. This is the word of the Lord. Would you all pray with me? Father, we are grateful that you hear us. Um, We are grateful for the words of Isaiah that remind us to call out to you. And that though we are often waiting, we aren't sure what we're waiting for. But Father, may we be a people who wait upon you. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see as we consider this together. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, depending upon your stage of life, there are probably a lot of different types of things that, um, that you are waiting for uh, in this season of life. For some of you, it may be Christmas morning. Right where you get really excited about the gifts that are coming, uh, the cookies, maybe the family traditions, uh, the great food and the dinners that you all get to experience together. For others of you, it might be that you know you were just having a really rough day and you were thinking, you know what's going to fix my life? A package from Amazon. Right? And you're waiting for that package to arrive so that finally you will be more organized or you will be able to finally do the exercise you've been dreaming about doing or maybe not dreaming about doing but feeling like you should be doing. Right? You're waiting for an Amazon package to arrive or maybe you're waiting for test results. Right? You've taken exams recently, and uh, you know, maybe this is just too old school. Maybe all of y'all's exams come back graded like that on the computer or something. But maybe you're waiting for your exams or your papers to come back to figure out exactly how you did this year. You're waiting for rejection or acceptance letters from colleges, perhaps, for schools. Or maybe none of that applies, and what you're actually waiting for is that next phase of life. You're thinking, I'm exhausted right now. You know it's going to be better. It's finally going to be better when I have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. It's finally going to be better when I'm married. It's finally going to be better when I have this new job. It's finally going to be better when I have children or when they're out of the house. 
or, you know, whatever it might be. It's that next stage of life. I'm waiting for it. And so my question to us as we consider the things that we often pay the most attention to as we wait is why? Right? Why are we paying so much attention to Amazon, to our report cards, or how we're doing in school, to our career opportunities, right? To results where we think, if I could just finish this or if I could just get to that, is it because those are the good things that have come to the forefront of your mind, right? It's not like it's wrong to want gifts. It's not like it's wrong to want to be a good student or to do well uh, at your workplace. Or is it because our view of life and what is worthwhile is often too small, too empty, too shallow? Right? Well, we look at those things that we're waiting for as fulfilling. Right? Well, we use those things, perhaps, that we're waiting for to ignore the deep and uh, to distract from the deep longings of our heart, the deep hurts within our heart. My suspicion is that if you're like me, it's a little bit of both, right? Where we're paying attention to them because it's fun and it's good um, in the good times, but we're also using them to distract us from the things that are hard, from the things that hurt, to distract us from the hurt and pain that has happened or is happening within our lives, right? To distract us maybe even from that hurt that is within ourselves, that self-hatred that we feel, or to distract us from the tragedies that are going on all around us, right? And so into this distractions that we're filling our lives with comes the Advent season, and as I said before, slaps us in the face, Right, well, we need to put away some of our emptier concerns or smaller concerns and pay attention to the deep concerns of our hearts. Right, Advent is a time where God reminds us that we need to pay attention to the things that hurt so that we can remember what He is doing and what He has been doing in the world and what He's promised to do one day and someday when He comes again. We do this because if we're actually honest and we allow ourselves to think about it for just a little bit, we remember this year has been really hard. There's been a lot of hurtful things that have happened in our lives, in the lives of people in this congregation. Many of us have broken and difficult relationships right, with parents or children, with siblings or friends. Many of us have people in our lives who've had troubling new ailments and diagnoses given their way. Maybe some of, for some of us in this room, that's, that's you. Right? Between Thanksgiving and Christmas is the time when we see family and friends a little bit more frequently and we're reminded that that loved one is not here anymore. Right? And so that becomes a little bit harder. We've seen wars. We've seen wars continue We've seen war crimes committed and injustices again and again and again. And the season of Advent comes in and tells us that we're supposed to have some sense of hope. How is that possible in light of all of these things? Where is our hope? Is it in the gifts? Is it in the opportunities? Is it in that next something that we're waiting for? Or is it in the Lord? And if so, if it's in the Lord, how can we trust Him? Because where is He? What's going on? 
So our passage this morning in Isaiah is a lament. It's a prayer that helps to initiate the Advent season and our longing as we pay attention to the fact that there are challenging things that we find ourselves, challenging circumstances that we find ourselves in, and we long for the Lord to come in and do something about it. Isaiah reminds us that we should be a waiting people, a waiting people for the Lord, though. We're waiting and longing for something that He is going to do to change all that is broken in the world and make it right again. So let's look at the passage this morning in three ways. First, the longing of the passage. Second, the lamentation of the passage. And then third, I want to end with, how is this actually hopeful? So the longing, the lamentation, and the hope. First, the longing. Um, Isaiah begins with an incredibly powerful opening prayerful statement. Lord, rend the heavens and come down. Right? Isaiah is praying and even commanding God to do something. God, we need you. Do something more than what you're doing. Right? In essence, yes, like we're glad to have our daily bread. And we're really glad that you're sustaining our life right now. But Father, uh, we find ourselves in troubling circumstances. So it's time to act a little bit stronger than what you're doing. Isaiah and God's people had been conquered and they'd been removed from their lands, the promised land. And so now they're questioning everything. God, how is it possible that you are good when the thing that you gave to us is now taken from us? God, where are you? Right? Not only how could you have let this happen, but also what are you going to do about it now? Right? The prophet wants God to do what he has done in the past. Right? And so he's hearkening back to previous interventions. Right? The intervention in Egypt in particular. Make the mountains quake. Right? Bring fire. Do what you did before. Show us your power. We know that you can do it again. Why are you not doing it now? But this type of prayer and this type of longing feels really uncomfortable to a lot of us. Um, as one pastor said, as I was reading through commentaries, he said, the American church is far too content with mediocrity. And this, is what he had, this is what he meant when he said that. He meant that we're too content with you know, some pretty good things. Bible studies, fellowship, you know, for the sake of Advent, our parish groups, right? and all the church activities that we get to do that we forget often how powerfully God has acted before and how powerfully He promises He will act again. Oh, that we would pray how the prophets pray here, right? With longing and dependence. Lord, rip open the heavens and come down. We need You. Come down and deal with the injustices in Gaza, in Ukraine, in Armenia in our own country. Heal the brokenness in my relationships, in our relationships. Heal the sick. Heal the lonely. Be with the lonely. Heal my heart that is at war within me. Oh, that you would rip open the heavens and come down in a mighty way, because that's what we need. And Isaiah remembers how God has come down before. Though it might be tempting to put our hope in something else, right? In, 
in vain idols or in other things that we've been tempted to put our hope in. Um, He's reminding them and also us that God has acted and that He is a God who's worthy to put our faith and our trust in. They they, they may be a people who are waiting, but they are a people who are waiting on a God who is trustworthy. That God has done something and we can trust in it. He's going to do something amazing again because He's done it before. And so as we pray, we follow Isaiah's model in recognizing that we too are a people who are waiting, but we're waiting for a God who's trustworthy. So that brings us to our second part. We're waiting on God who's a God of judgment. And if He is a God of judgment, then we need to worry about our own selves being judged as well. And that brings the lamentation. Isaiah calls upon God to act. He remembers that he... You know, that that as God rends open the heavens and come down, he does so as a judge. As a judge who's going to hold everything and everyone to account. There's no way to set the world right if a judge doesn't come to do so. A holy and righteous judge. And so that is a part of the prayer. So, Lord, come down and be a judge. A judge who who will judge all that have done wrong, but... If he's going to judge all who have done wrong, then we need to remember that we too have done wrong. Because halfway through verse 5, Isaiah writes, Behold, you were angry, and we sinned. In our sins we have been a long time, and we, and shall we be saved? Given the sins that we have all done, what makes us any different from others that we're asking God to come down and judge? Why are we the ones that should be saved? Aren't we too the ones who have done wrong? Aren't we too the ones who have failed to live as God called us to live? And if so, as we say, God act in your world, aren't we too asking for Him to judge us? And again, if so, how is it possible that we can stand before Him? The answer is that on our own, we cannot stand before Him. For though you may have not committed murder, as we talked about a few weeks ago, um, we all are guilty of murdering each other in our hearts. Right? Though you may have not um, committed idolatry and actively worshipped uh, carved images or, or sculpted images, we have committed idolatry as we've worshipped our work, as we've worshipped fake gods like money, sex, status beauty for we all become like one who is unclean as it says and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment even our virtues fall short of God's goodness but as we read in the Corinthian passage God has given us all grace in Jesus Christ so how can we stand before God we can't Unless we are hidden in Christ Jesus. Right? If God pays attention to us and looks at our righteousness, it is filthy. It is filthy rags, like Isaiah says. Right? Like showing up to the fanciest restaurant in, um, you know, in a tank top and flip-flops. Right? I don't know if you've ever shown up to a, an incredibly fancy event 
underdressed. It feels terrible, right? Where you immediately feel out of place and you're aware that not everything is right. You know, maybe some of you have gone to a wedding that had more flowers than the Kentucky Derby wearing flip-flops. Um, not that I have any experience with that. Um, very particular example. But the point is, our very best deeds feel like that, right? They are, they are not worth the occasion. They are not right for the occasion. Our best deeds are flip-flops in the eyes of God. Um, but God's grace is that in Jesus Christ, as we place our faith in Him, He clothes us in His righteous garments, in His righteousness, right? In the Armani tuxedo, in the Versace dress, or I didn't know this one until Juliana helped me out, or the Jimmy Choo's of shoes, right? Right, where we can stand in His presence appropriately attired, not in something that we can clothe ourselves in, but in something that He grants to us. Only as we are hid with Christ in His righteousness can we stand before Him. Our filthy rags are replaced with His beautiful, glorious garments. So we lament that we have not been what God has made us to be. And we look in faith to Jesus who gives us His righteousness. But is that the only hope for us? Right, that's our third point, the hope. Right, there's hope for the individual sinner. Okay, I get that. It's in Jesus whose righteousness is given to us. But is there a bigger hope as well? A hope for the world, a hope for our relationships, for war-torn countries, for everything else in God's creation. The beauty of Advent is that we believe though Jesus has come and He has dealt with our sin, He is coming again to deal with all things. And as the Mark passage tells us, there is a time when Jesus will come back. And when he does so, it will be as if the heavens have been ripped open. Right? As it is described there where the stars will begin to fall and the sun will be no more and all of those sorts of things. And this beautiful imaginative language to describe the heavens being lifted op- or ripped open and the Son of Man coming to deal with all of these things. He will come in glory to judge and to make it right. And from there, Jesus tells us that it will be like the fig tree, the seemingly weird passage that comes out of nowhere, right? Or, or, and really, we can imagine it being like any fruit tree if you don't have a fig tree in, in your yard. Or um, I think actually one of us does have a fig tree in, in, their, in her yard. Um, the point is that when you see the leaves beginning um, to grow, we know that, that the time for fruit is just around the corner. And that's the the point of what Jesus is trying to tell us is that um, the leaves are blooming right now. Jesus is at the very gates. He is coming soon. He is coming imminently. He will rip open the heavens and come down. He will heal the sick. He will heal the blind. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And it is coming soon. We can remember that the same Lord who acted before and who always keeps His promises is the same Lord who tells us this 
And He keeps His promises and is coming and will come soon. So we put our hope in Him. Our hope in the promises that He is near. So let me conclude with this. Um, As I said, the Christian hope is not just that Jesus has come, it is that He is coming again. And all those aches, all of those deep longings that we have, that we sometimes ignore, um, right? all those like soul deep, you know, world encompassing deep aches that exist within our soul, all of those things will be made right again. <laughs> this is what we're waiting for. Right? Um, for God to come again. For God to act. For God to keep His promises and to make all things right. So may we begin Advent with that longing as we pray, Lord, rip open the heavens and come down. Take care of your world. Be at work within it. And with that hope, may we be a people who look to Jesus as He surely is coming again and coming again soon. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you. Um, We thank you that Jesus has come. We thank you that he is coming again. Lord, we thank you that in Christ you have dealt with all all the sin uh, that we have committed and we have um, experienced. But Father, that that is not the end of our hope. That you are reconciling all things to yourself. And so Lord... There's things in our own hearts that we um, are afraid to even look at. There's things in our hearts that we're afraid to give to you because we're afraid at times maybe that that nothing is going to happen with it. Um, That broken relationships are never going to be healed. We're afraid to pray for things um, like wars ceasing. We're afraid to pray for things um, like diseases being healed. We're afraid to afraid to pray um, for loved ones who don't know you. So what if you're not listening? But Lord, may we be a people who call upon your name, rip open the heavens and come down. Send your spirit, we pray, to be at work and to make all things new in our own hearts and in the world. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.